uh, at all started out on the journey to check us out uh, February 5th. We have many men that are kind of in the second phase of that already, if you will. We've been doing retreats throughout the year. Um, several men, over 20 some odd men, right, Andy, that have kind of completed that phase and, and going back for another. So uh, thank you for sharing that testimony. The reality is it's not a program because we're not about uh, building or growing or just doing programs at Centerpoint. We're about growing people, and growing people is helping to get you into a lifestyle uh, that is learning to abide in Christ that will transform you from the inside out, everything about you. So, men, you're invited. I hope you'll be out Wednesday night. That's not this Wednesday. I think it's two weeks from now, uh, February the 5th at 6 o'clock. You won't regret it. Uh, it's a commitment it's for six weeks, uh, but I, I assure you, you will not regret that. It will be life-changing. So good morning and welcome to the rest of you. Many of you came out. You braved the blizzard today, right? It's a little worse than last week's rainstorm that we had. Um, we were told, you know, oh, the road's going to be ice, you know, stay home. So, you know, I listened and I regretted it. Uh, five minutes after I made the call, I said to someone in the lobby, I said, I know I'm going to regret this. That was Saturday night, and I did. Uh, but you were home safe, and I got to talk to some of you online because you, uh, you tapped into our live Facebook feed. So hopefully... You did that. We are going to be on today. For those of you who uh, you're not real manas and you stayed home because you're chickens, uh, we love you anyway. Uh, but you are online with us, I hope. And uh, please make sure you, you're following this because we are in a, a, another little series, if you will, 40 Days of Transformation. Uh, some were confused. You know, did we start last week? Did we start this? Did we start this week? Uh, officially, last week we began uh, with that sermon on our 40 days, uh, and there are, there are helpful little pointers online. If you want to follow along, just go to our website, centerpointme.org, click on the, uh, the resources link, it'll take you right to the sermon so you can follow, but we also have on there the 40 days of transformation, just a nugget to bring you through a, a little snippet every day of the week, and a challenge, and a biblical charge. Uh, I, I know some have said, well, we're, we're reading the scripture, we've got this now, I'm in a small group Bible study, I've got all these things going on. We don't want you to be overwhelmed. Our goal, though, is to get you into God's word, because that's what will change your life. Amen? Great. Three of you believe that. Uh, you better get with it if you're not sure of that yet, and I make a little joke of that, but that's the reality that we have a church in America today that doesn't know how to read, study, or get into their Bible and live according to the principles of the Bible, and so I'm not here as a pastor to teach you some good ideas that you should try to put into practice. I'm not here to try to make you feel good. Uh, I mean, I hope you feel good, but that's not my objective. My objective is to get your heart in line with the Word of God so that your heart and life and spirit will be transformed. And I can't do that. I can't change you. Got bet you're like, oh, let's go home now. No, I mean, but that's the reality. I cannot change you. You can't change yourself. But the power of the Holy Spirit is alive and real and active. He's living. His word is living. And this is how he speaks to you. This is how he changes you. So you've got to get into the Bible. Great. We're getting closer. I'm trying to crank you up a little. I know it's cold out there, but let's, let's, let's get in there. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. Um, if you haven't read the introduction to the 40 Days of Transformation, that's on there. It'll tell you about fasting and why we fast and why we think that's important. Uh, you're like, well, oh, Pastor, that's going to be time. Listen, more of you spend more time on Facebook 
and searching the internet aimlessly for nothing, you could take a half hour and sit down today and you can look into really what this transformation is all about. Read the introduction and then week by week, we're into week uh, two now, uh, and we're giving you actually a memory verse. The first memory verse of the week was, um, and ironically, it's the foundational pillars that we build this church on, the great commandment and the great commission. We summarize it and make it simple here. The great commandment is love God and love others. Can you all remember that? Let's say it with me. Ready? Love God, love others. And the Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, not, as, not real complicated either, but summarize that and it says, go and make disciples. Can you say that with me? Go and make disciples. So there's eight words, love God, love others, go and make disciples. That's the foundation of what we are, who we are and what we're all about. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we're getting in to God's Word. Um, and I, I am excited for us as a church and for you. Uh, we have begun a, a fast for many of us. And you're saying, well, why are we doing lunch after church next week? That doesn't make sense. I know some of that sounds a little counterproductive. Uh, um, many people are doing a Daniel fast. We've, uh, and that's vegetables and fruits and nuts and, and, and water. Um, some people are, are fasting a day a week or a meal a day, whatever it is. But I kind of go through that in the introduction to help you understand what a fast is, why we fast, and the importance of fasting, and the biblical mandate of fasting. Did you know that it's in God's Word and multiple times that we should pray and fast? And so we have called a corporate time of prayer and fasting for the whole body. Yes, you as an individual, but for the whole body so that we can really experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit on a greater dimension this coming year. And I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for more. And, and I don't want to just sing songs up there that are just words that I sing and go away saying, oh, those were nice. And, and as we sat here worshiping this morning, I thought to myself, you know, how many of us come in here and we sing these words and we worship, but we don't really mean what we're saying, or we have a hard time singing some of the songs or even mouthing the words because we don't believe it in here and you might say well pastor how can I sing and pray and praise about something that hasn't happened in my life that's called faith sometimes you praise and you thank God ahead of time for those answers that you want to come does that make sense to you so it's a it's a step of faith for you saying in faith I believe I'm going to be set free you're already set free through Christ, but maybe you're not feeling that you're walking in that. So this is where faith comes into action, folks, where you thank God in advance for the victories that are already yours in Christ. So this is where we're going, and this is what I'm excited about. But, you know, we, we sang some songs today, and I thought, you know, some, some people probably are thinking, well, isn't it foolish to praise uh, the Lord for something before it even comes to pass? And the reality is absolutely not. It's absolutely not foolish. It's a sign of faith that God will come through and God rewards a heart that is full of faith. God rewards a heart that is full of faith. And so he wants to stretch your faith and to believe for the things that maybe you're not seeing just yet. But this is where we go back to God's Word. So take your Bible, open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And in verse 17, I'm just going to give you a little bit of, um, of context to this message about Jehoshaphat. 
Everybody say Jehoshaphat. Great. Now spell it. No, just kidding. It's one of those fun words. It's, it's hard to pronounce and say and spell and all that good stuff. But we're, we're talking about how fasting and prayer overcomes Satan's plan and how it brings victory to your life. So in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 17, I'm going to just give you a little bit of context so you know what's going on, verses 1 through 6. Um, and and I, I alluded to this last week when we were online about some of the verses maybe weren't on a certain um, uh, translation, thank you, of scripture that I was using. Um, I often use the ESV and the NASV, New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version. Those are the versions I find most closely related to the original text. Um, the original translation in the Greek and Hebrew, but I, I use multiple translations because I'm simple. I want to understand it better, but some words are taken out of certain translations because they're, it's questioned as to if it was in the original. Uh, some of the writers had it, some didn't. So you'll find places in your Bible where there are brackets around a certain verse, and, and those brackets are there because there are some scholars that question whether or not it was in the original context of scripture to, to clarify that. Uh, but that's why I do some research and some studies. So the, the, the uh, verse that I shared a few weeks ago wasn't on the screen, uh, but it is, I do believe it's a, a huge part of uh, the importance of what we're trying to convey in this message and what God's word is conveying about prayer and fasting. So I'm reading this out of the New American Standard Bible today. Again, I like something that's very as close to the original as you can get, but in modern-day English that I understand, because I'm simple. I don't know about the rest of you, but I like to keep it simple, right? Chapter 17, verses um, 1 through 6. I'm going to start in about verse 3. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days and did not seek the Baals or the gods, but he sought the God of his father, followed his commandments, and did not act as Israel did. So the Lord established the kingdom in his control, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor, and he took great pride in the ways of the Lord, and again, he removed the high places and the ashram from Judah. Now flip over to chapter 20. This is our text for today. And I'm going to break this down, but I'm going to read a little bit of it for you. And we're going to break it down verse by verse today, okay? And I'm going to walk through what this Old Testament passage of Scripture, what in the world it has to do with your life today, and why it's relevant, why it makes sense, why there's power in the Word of God that was written over 2,000 years ago for your life today, right now. Wouldn't you like to know what that power is? I would too. So let's discover together. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the... Mayanites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. I didn't bring my glasses, so bear with me. Well, then we'll, we'll get through it. We'll get through it, Janet. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah together, together, so sorry, so Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. 
Verse 5, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in, in the heavens? Are you not ruler over the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. Verse 7, did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people in Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? They have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon, verse 10, and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Verse 13, all Judah was standing before the Lord with the infants, their wives, and their children. Thank you, buddy. My son rescued me, grabbed a pair of glasses. Verse 14, then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of the great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up against the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in the front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord and worshipped him. Lord, I pray in the next few minutes you would open our hearts and our minds to understand, to see, to realize what your word is speaking to us. I pray that you would bring about a great victory in each and every person's life that is here today. And even as was already prayed earlier, Lord, that, that the battles that we face, we would recognize they are not our battles, but they are yours. And that all we need to do is stand firm and to have faith and believe and see the deliverance of our Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts and transform lives today by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we, we've heard it. It's been a theme throughout the worship and, and, and even uh, as Kevin was praying, many of you are facing battles, hardships, difficulties in your life. Uh, we know behind every face there's a story and I don't know all of your stories, but I know enough of you to know that there's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of difficulty, there's a lot of hardship and there's a lot of pain in the world today, even in the church today. 
There's those that struggle with addiction. There's those that struggle with, with heartache and heartbreak there's, uh, for, with forgiveness, unforgiveness, and, and all kinds of physical, there's all kinds of stuff going on. But today I want to help you with the, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And anytime you read the Word, anytime you're in church, it's important that you pray, Holy Spirit, speak to me today. This, is, this shouldn't be just my prayer as a pastor. It should be your prayer that you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me today. Through your word, through the worship, through fellowship. Holy Spirit, I need your help today. If you haven't asked him for help, I'm thinking you must be like Superman because I can't tell you how many times throughout the day when I'm saying, Lord, I need your help. Holy Spirit, I need your help. And so that he's here to help us. But, but I want you today with the help of the Holy Spirit to more fully understand how your battles are won or lost in prayer. I want you to get a better idea of how spiritual means overcome fleshly and carnal means. And how God intervenes when people fast and pray. Prayer that costs you nothing is usually going to gain you nothing. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about prayer and fasting and starving the flesh to feed the spirit. To grow the spirit man because many of us have a malnourished spirit man. He needs to be fed, and we need to feed him. We're responsible to learn how to feed that spirit man, how to abide in Christ, how, God, how God's peace will guard and keep your heart, and how a praying heart and a praising voice allow God to work on your behalf. And, and again, this morning, many of you come in here and you say, well, you know, it's snowy, it's kind of a blah day, and I just don't feel like praising, and things aren't going well in my life. And listen... <laughs> I can't explain to you how important it is for you to be able to break through and come in and worship God, not just here in church on Sunday, certainly here, but in your life and how a praying heart and a praising voice God can work mightily through. So number one, the first point I want to give you this morning is the enemy of Jehoshaphat. In verse uh, 1 and 2, we see that it came after this, the sons of Moab and the Ammon and blah, blah, those people um, made war against Jehoshaphat. So they were coming to fight against Jehoshaphat. And then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat saying, there's a great multitude. This is not a small army. They were saying, Jehoshaphat, there's a great multitude coming against you from beyond the sea and from En Gedi. And so, giving you again a little bit of historical context here, they were defeated already in a great battle. The Moabites seek to retaliate. So, they're ticked off. They got beat and going all the way back to 2 Kings chapter 3. They got whooped already and now they're mad. And they're coming with guns blazing. Jehoshaphat, now the king of Judah, receives word that a very large army is invading his kingdom. This is the story of what's going on here. The enemies of God, they come from the east to defy the king. And Jehoshaphat faces opposition. Because in 2 Chronicles 17, this is why he faces opposition. He sought the Lord and he took away the high places and the groves of idol worship in Judah. This goes back to chapter 17. So this is why they're mad at Jehoshaphat. Because Jehoshaphat is tearing down false images. He's taking away the false gods and he's placing God the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, as the God that we shall serve. So the enemy hates him. Can you get the picture in your mind? If you want to serve God, love God, go after God, guess what? The enemy's coming against you. 
All right? With all the forces that he can muster up to destroy you and to deter you and to defeat your forward progress. You've got to understand that. Are you all with me? Say, got it. Cool. In other words, when you're in pursuit of revival and a heart that is holy, expect opposition. When you're making progress in your spiritual life to advance the kingdom in your family, in your home, as a husband, if you will, expect obstacles. Don't be like, oh man, you know, uh, just when I decide to go after God, all hell breaks loose and my life just falls apart, so I guess I'm all done with that. You should expect it, right? If you expect it, then you're like, okay, I can be a little bit more on guard. When you're about to see God give you or grant you great spiritual victories, expect some intimidation. The enemy's not just going to be like, all right, we'll let him go. He wants to make progress. She's moving forward. He's going to intimidate you. He's going to bring fear in. He's going to bring anxiety. He'll do whatever he can to intimidate you. And so many of us, fear is a monster, man. Fear paralyzes people. It causes people to get physically sick and ill and all kinds of stuff. The devil's an intimidator. He's a liar and the father of lies. So remind him of that when he intimidates you. Say, you know what, devil? You have no authority over me. Like the song we sang before. You have no place here. You have no authority. You have no power and voice in my life. I have authority over you. So when you're about to see God answer some prayers, expect some big things to have to pray through. So understand the situation here. This is the enemy of Jehoshaphat. Number two, the energy. The energy of Jehoshaphat. Verse 3. Yeah, how did Jehoshaphat respond to the unexpected here? Look at verse 3. He turned his heart to the Lord. When, when the unexpected came, this is what Jehoshaphat did. He proclaimed a fast through all Judah. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he had turned his attention to seek the Lord and he proclaimed a fast. God's people were called to unite in public and corporate prayer and fasting. Some people say, well, I don't know, you know, I think this is a personal and individual thing, Pastor. I don't know that, you know, you should be really... This, listen, <laughs> Jehoshaphat did it. They saw great victories. This is what we're doing as a church right now. Calling us to corporate fasting and prayer because some things happen only through prayer and fasting. And I want to see a great victory in this church and in your lives and in our community. How about you? Verse 13 Who'd the fast include? This is this little extra, uh, just for your information, it included men, women, and young people. No one was exempt. And so I'm challenging you with your families. Encourage your families to give up something. Everything. Everybody can give up something, right? right. Verse 13. So all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. And the people responded, jump back down to verse 4. The people responded in an incredible way. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah, central Maine and beyond. They came to seek the Lord. So let me back up here because I think, again, this goes along and, and taps right into what Kevin was sharing earlier. This is not like we don't fast and pray to twist God's arm to, to make him give us what we want and say this is, what, this is why we're doing this so that God will do that. We do this to align our heart with the heart of God and to get our motives right and our spirit right with the spirit of God. And then God does amazing things like bless you beyond what you could ever ask, think, or imagine. It's about us aligning ourselves with Him. 
It's about us crucifying the flesh to say yes to the Spirit. It's about us realizing how much more we can, we can do without and, and just aligning our hearts in so many ways. And fasting does wonderful things. And one, in other words, what we're looking at here is that a common danger and a common cause brought all of God's people together. What's our common cause as a church this year? To be united. Why, why are we doing the little after fellowship next week? And listen, maybe you don't like those things and you're an introvert and you're like, ah, I don't know, I'm going to stay. There's people I don't know and there's weird people. There's weird, there are weird people here. There's weird people everywhere. Um, but listen, if you want to have friends, you've got to be friendly, right? And I've heard so many people say, well, I don't know anybody in my own church and it's just too big and it's spread out and blah, blah, blah. Next week after church, bring a little something, something to share. I don't care if you get some chicken nuggets and share them or whatever, but bring something and then we, so that's a common cause. We're uni uniting. Why are we doing it next week? To bring us together in relationships with each other. Uniting for a common cause. Beyond that, what do we want to see this year? God bring about a great victory in your life and in this church and in our community. Uh, and how do we see that? By going deeper. And that's the premise of where we're at right now as a church. By going deeper into God's word. Deeper into a fellowship and an abiding relationship with Jesus. There's all kinds of problems. And listen, I, there's not enough counseling hours in the day to help all you out there that got problems. Can I be real about it? Can I just be real about that? Here, here's what makes a difference in your life. And I'm not knocking counseling. There's needs for that. But what's needed more than anything is the real living power of the Holy Spirit in your life to bring about victories and healing. That's what's needed in your life more than anything else. More than anything else. Please hear me. When you get a hold of that, just the hem of his garment, that will, that will absolutely transform you. And so we're not going to focus on all the problems. and all, th Those are the realities. But what we're going to focus on is going after Jesus. And he sees that. And he'll take care of all the stuff. Right? These people of God were from different cities. They had different tastes, different desires. They had different jealousies and rivalries. They were all spread out. Yet because of the matter at hand. And the threat to spiritual progress. Every... Listen to this. Every personal pet peeve and individual desire was set aside. Now this is important. Well, I don't like the style of music, so I don't know if I'm going to worship. Or I don't like the color of the walls that, you know, Pastor painted the bathroom. So I, listen, you set aside all your personal pet peeves. Everything was set aside because the church was called upon to protect their common inheritance rather than promote their individual differences. The problem with our world today and the problem with sin in the world today, sin is doing what sin does. Darkness is doing what darkness does. The church has got to set aside some of our personal agendas and focus on the common cause, protect the inheritance of God's kingdom, stop bickering and arguing amongst ourselves and focus on Jesus and Him crucified and risen and coming again and get ready. The bride has got to get ready. And that's what we're trying to do. Get you ready. Because when we're getting ready, the world is going to see that. The world is not going to be drawn to a church that sees division and disunity and disharmony within it. They're going to be drawn to a bride that loves each other, that is harmoniously united for a common cause. And we all have different uh, opinions and preferences and styles and tastes and all that, and that's fine. But we've got a common objective. 
to love God and love others and to go and make disciples. That's our mission. Lay aside the nonsense and let's break it down, whittle it down to really the bare bones. It's the great commandment, the great commission. We've got a job to do. And that's our common inheritance. We, rather than worried about my personal pet peeves and, and my personal interests. So what we discover here is that what God wants to do is more important than what I want. What we discover that God's agenda always takes and should take precedence over my agenda and your agenda. We discover here that what God wants to do is more important than what I want to do. Amen, little one. Scream it out. At least someone's excited this morning. We discover here that God's plan includes you. And when, when you win, everybody wins. And everybody wins, you win. Right? Because we're on the same team. I don't know about you. I'm sweating. I'm working up a sweat. So what was the key? What's the key to all this? The key is this. A corporate call to pray and fast. And a corporate call to unite as one. That's the key. That's what God's calling us to do. You may be visiting here today. Maybe you don't see yourself as part of this church. But if you're part of another church, please unite as one with your church. Be willing to agree together with your church as one. Because your church and our church, we're all one big church. If you're a Bible-believing, God-fearing church, we're all just one church. And, there, and we, we need to put aside and dispense with all the, you know, we got all kinds of different denominations and distinctives and all that. But really, we have a lot more in common than we do different. And that's the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. All the, all the other doctrinal things, I think that, you know, we can kind of get beyond some of that and focus on. So this is our call as a church to, to pray and to fast and to seek God and unite as one. The third thing this morning I want to give you is the encouragement of Jehoshaphat. What happens? What happens when people fast and pray? An encouraging word comes to your heart. Look at, look at this next verse, verse 6. The word in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 6 is this. Remember who God is. Remember who God is. When you're facing trials and troubles in your life, listen to this. Remember, art not thou God in the heavens? Look at verse 6. Don't you rule over the kingdoms? Isn't there power and might in your hands? Remember who God is. This is an encouraging word of this land so your people could march forward. In other words, aren't you going to clean up all the mess, get all the garbage, remove the obstacles? Can't you move them out of the way so God's people can move forward? Look at what God's done in the past. And remember what God will do in the future. Verse 9. Didn't you say if we stand in your house, in your presence, and cry unto thee in prayer, you will hear and help? I think someone posted somewhere, maybe somebody in this church, I think, 2 Chronicles 7.14. They, they posted on Facebook today. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive the sin and I'll heal the land. Humble ourselves, seek Him, and pray. Fasting is, a, is a, a heart that is extremely intent on pursuing God in spite of everything else and is hungry for God more than they are hungry to feed our flesh. Verse 12, remember who to stay focused on. Remember who to stay focused on. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are where? Upon thee. Our eyes are on you. God. My eyes are not on my problems. You've got them. So do I. Everyone's got a problem. Some of them bigger than others. Some of them more overwhelming than others. I got it. 
I understand. He knows. He understands. But my eyes are not on the enemy. They're not on all the distractions. My eyes are on you, God. So what happens when people fast and pray and unite as one for God's glory? Look at verse 14. Then came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. When we do that, everybody say then. Then the Spirit of the Lord will fall. When I keep my eyes on you, in, midst, in the midst and in the middle of the heartache, the hardship, the trial, the difficulty, I continue to focus on you. I continue to move forward in my walk with you, Jesus. And then, this is where I said sometimes we praise ahead of what we hope to happen. Well, I would praise God, but you know what? Things in my life really suck right now, Pastor, so I can't. Sorry for my French, but let's just be real about it, okay? The, I'm just talking in your language. I hear it all the time. So I can't, and it's hard to. But listen, you have to. You have to press in and press forward in the midst of and in spite of. If you sit around waiting for everything in your life to get better before you really start to worship God, guess what? It ain't going to happen. Not till we get to heaven anyway. But the victory that is waiting for you to, to live out the blessed life here and now on this earth. And you can live and you can have a blessed life here and now. It's not going to be heaven, I'll tell you that. But in the midst of all the difficulties, you can still receive and walk in the blessing, the favor and the victory of God. If you'll learn to put into practice some of the principles of God's word. I don't know where I am anymore. That's all right. Verse 12, okay, thank you. Verse 14, verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Don't be afraid or dismayed over what troubles you. So what's the word of God for you today? Hear what his word says. Why should I not fear? The next slide. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. He says you'll not need to fight. Just stand and see the Lord deliver because God will be with you. God is with you right now in the midst of your storm. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your heartache and your hardship, in the midst of your, and some of you say, I'm in a living hell right now. In the midst of that, praise him in the storm. Seek his face. So what's the response of the people of Judah? Verse 18, they bowed their faces to the ground and they worshiped God. Why? How? How do you do that? How do you... Because when you do that in prayer, you always see God bigger than your mountains. That's what prayer will do to you. The psalmist says, hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. Many of you are facing some mountains, but in prayer, you begin to see God bigger than your mountains. The ending of Jehoshaphat, verse 22 through 30. The ending here. When they began singing and praising I love this part of the story. The Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who had come against Judah. So they were, Scripture says, routed or they were defeated. No need for military weapons. No need for fleshly, carnal swords and spears. No need for all that. No need to fight flesh with flesh. He's fighting your battles in the spirit realm. So what did Jehoshaphat do? Verse 21, he organized the people to fast, to pray, to sing, and to praise the Lord. 
Well, that doesn't make much sense if you're a military commander-in-chief, right? Fast and pray and seek the Lord. But the Lord responded to a heart of faith and praise and he destroyed every fleshly opposition. Are you facing opposition in your life? You better believe it. You and I are facing opposition. And if you don't recognize it for what it is, spiritual forces, the enemy's forces against you, you can get caught up in fighting flesh against flesh. It's not people that you're fighting against. It's not just circumstances that just happen to be coincidental. These are spiritual forces that are out to impede your progress. And you have to recognize that for what it is. The nonsense that you deal with at work, that's not just your boss being a jerk. Maybe he is a jerk, but it's beyond that. It's spiritual things in, in the, the heavenlies that are out to destroy you, the spirit realm. So, how, how do you do this? Because, remember, Zerubbabel said this, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Three quick lessons here from the victory of Jehoshaphat. Number one, there are anti-Christian forces to impede the work of God in your life. There are strongholds, and they're real. There are strongholds in the unseen world standing in opposition to the church. The enemy will do whatever he can to divide and conquer. And you know what they say, an enemy within is worth 10,000 from without. So try to cause friction, contention, disunity, gossip, slander, bitterness, whatever it happens inside the church. We've got to guard against that, church. Those are strongholds. How do we break down strongholds? Through prayer, through fasting, through a common unifying cause. So like Judah, it's time to unite in prayer and fasting. It was the Holy Spirit that came upon Jehaziel in the midst of the congregation to give an encouragement and a direction in the presence of the Lord. So let's believe God and expect the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts to operate in this church, in the building of His church, not just this church, the building of God's church. I want to see, and I hope that that's your prayer, to see and expect the spiritual gifts come alive in God's people in the building of His kingdom. There are many gifts out there. And as those gifts are put into operation, God builds His church. And the Bible says the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Jehoshaphat's spiritual weapons overcome the enemy's carnal weapons and nothing of God has changed in the last 2,000 plus years. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he gave Jehoshaphat this great victory and he, he sent the enemies to start killing each other and they didn't have to raise a sword to them, can he do that in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of you are facing some big enemies. You can't fight them on your own. It's through his spirit. Spiritual weapons always overcome fleshly weapons and any man that comes against you. So in closing, I'm going to give you five quick things. What are the spiritual weapons that work for today? Like those that work for Jehoshaphat? Corporate fasting. Self-denial. Well, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's painful. That's why it's called crucifying the flesh. Self-denial. These, the, these are the things that overcome well, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not a spiritual giant, Pastor. Listen, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised what you are capable of. 
So I, I, don't, I, I would ask you to, to pray and ask the Lord and say, you know, Lord, I'm serious about my walk with you and I want to go deeper. So I'm going to give something up. I'm going to give up a meal today. I'm going to give up the day's worth of meals or whatever it might be for you. Or, or a Daniel fast. I'm going to give up meat and lots of other things. Self-denial to feed, again, not to twist God's arm, but to feed the spirit man, crucify the flesh man. Number two, united prayer. There was an agreement church came together. The people came together. We've got to come together. And I, I hope this morning you've got a clearer picture. And those of you that are watching at home, hopefully you're watching, you've got a clearer picture of where we're headed this coming year. We've been talking about it for a while, but we've got to be united in prayer and agreement for a, a greater empowering of His Holy Spirit in us and in this church. Number three, wholehearted praise. Believing God for intervention. Number four, genuine unselfishness. No personal agendas here. And then number five, spiritual gifts. The anointing of God came in the congregation and God's presence is what really makes a difference. Right? If we don't have that, we might as well be playing bingo this morning. Right? But the presence of God, when He comes in the house, that's what transforms. And you, you may be a person that says, well, I don't really know what the presence of God is. Well, we want you to experience that presence. And, and that comes as you start stripping away the layers, dying to the flesh, saying, God, I mean business about my walk with you. I mean business about my relationship with you. And, you know, again, as I said earlier, isn't, isn't it kind of foolish to, to, to praise the Lord even before answers come? Not at all. What that does is it's a sign of faith in your heart, that God is going to come through and God rewards a heart that is full of faith. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? God rewards a heart that is full of faith. If you're new here, or maybe even if you're a regular here, I want to, I want to remind you of these altars because the altar is something that will not neglect or forsake at this church. It's where God transforms. And sometimes... He pricks something in your heart and you need to move towards the altar and you need to lay some things down at the altar. The altar is a place of sacrifice. And so every service during worship, if you feel inclined to move to the front, please do that. A very uh, open environment here. At the end of the service, these altars are open for prayer. If you want prayer, grab a friend. They'll come pray with you. There'll be some other people available here to pray with you. Maybe you just want to pray alone. Don't neglect this place. And if God's pricking your heart something this morning, don't rush off for fellowship. I know you got a snow blow, so do I, but it'll be there when we get home. This is what matters more in your life than anything else, is having the presence and the Spirit of God alive inside of you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? And I want to ask you this question, because I want to be able to pray for you, and this, is, this really is between you and God, but uh, I think that sometimes we have to respond to the Holy Spirit because it does something in us. If you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor, my heart has been challenged today and I'm not exactly sure what I need to do, but I know I need to do something to move closer to God. And you're wanting to do that something. I know that's a long question, but let me rephrase it. You feel the Holy Spirit prompting you that you need to do something to allow for some spiritual growth in your life. You're not exactly sure what probably is going to require some type of sacrifice. 
but I want to pray for you that God will clarify what that is. And if you just say, Pastor, that's me. I don't know exactly what it is, what I need to give up, but I know I need to do something because I want to grow spiritually. Would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? It's a bunch of people. A bunch of people, and I don't need to see them all, but thank you, you can put your hands down. Now here's what I would, let's, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you saw those hands that were lifted up, every single one. People in this place today who are truly desiring to grow spiritually in their walk with you. God, I pray that even, even before they get home today, you might quicken within their hearts what it is that they need to do to grow spiritually. Maybe it's just read my Bible five minutes a day. Spend 10 minutes a day talking to you quietly, privately, whatever it is. But I pray even before they get home today, you would reveal to them what that is so that they can grow spiritually. And Heavenly Father, I pray corporately and collectively for this entire body that you would take us deeper as a church this year, that your Holy Spirit would absolutely saturate this place, set a fire alive in our hearts, that we would see great victories won in the place of praise and in the, in the, in the posture of prayer. May our hearts be postured toward you in a place of prayer. Take us deeper, I pray. Bless your people. Bless this congregation and other congregations across uh, this city, throughout the state, Lord, even throughout the world today that are seeking your face. Pray for a mighty revival and an awakening in your church in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go. If you'd like to find a place to pray at these altars, uh, please continue to keep Lori Reynolds in prayer. She is recovering, doing better. And pray for uh, Sue Noel. We lost her husband this week. God bless you as you go.